Welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Box with your host and CEO of Babelbox, Sherry Langberg. Sherry interviews the world's biggest brands, agencies, and influencers to uncover their influencer marketing secrets to success. Go behind the scenes and learn how you can make influencer marketing part of your social media playbook. Subscribe to Beyond the Box at podcast.babelbox.com. Listen to all of your favorite episodes and follow us on Instagram for more influencer marketing inspiration. Hi, Eileen. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Such a pleasure to be here on Babelbox. Thank you. Thank you. So tell me a little bit more about white space marketing, when you launched it, what propelled you to launch your own agency? Sure. Well, how long do we have? No, just kidding. (laughs) Uh, You know, I started my marketing career after getting an MBA. I went to work for Young and Rubicam and I was there for 16 years, which might not be a record, but it was a really long time. And Mm -hmm. honestly, everything... I do today in marketing, everything I do as a business owner, I learned there. It was an amazing experience, wonderful people, enterprise businesses, all about strategy. It was way back in the day before research people became planners. So account people became, were really the strategists on the business. And I got to work on iconic brands, you know, Sherry, Jell-O and Rolades and Citibank and Merck. And it was an incredible, incredible training. After I had my two kids, I took a small break. I lasted about, I don't know, nine months. And then I went back to work at SAP as a consultant in their digital marketing group, which was really the first time I was able to transition from being really a brand marketer to being a one-to-one digital marketer. And after that, I went to work for a small healthcare company in Westchester, New York. And, you know... The difference between working for enterprise brands where, you know, if you grow the business by 0.1%, they have a party at the puck building, you know, Um, (laughs) as opposed to small businesses where you walk in and do a few things and their business grows by 100%. And it was totally stimulating to me that I could make a difference to small companies and mid-sized companies was really motivating after all those years in enterprise land. So that's when I started Whitespace to do just that. Wow. And how big is Whitespace? How many people are on your team, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. So we grew pretty quickly up through 2019. We had about 15 people, which was a combination about half were uh, employees and half were contractors. We always contracted out the creative, the writing and the design because different clients had different needs as it relates to budget, quality, time, et cetera. But recently in the last year, We've pivoted to a much smaller team because I have really dedicated my time to working with business CEOs and business owners on marketing strategy. So I still have a small team here that services my current retainer businesses, but I'm doing a lot of work at the fractional CMO and strategy level. That was my next question. I love it. What is a growth architect fractional CMO? Tell us more about what you do. I'm I'm so happy. It's such a great thing. <laughs> uh, it's great when you love your work, you know. You know, Shari, have you heard the expression, it's hard to see the label when you're inside the jar? Yeah. That's basically the whole thing. <laughs> At the heart of things, you know, I'm a strategist, which in its most simple terms, what does that mean? It means that I help companies allocate resources where marketing can work best for them. 
So it's really, in fact, kind of a financial job in a way. It's a strategic job, but it's also like a financial job, how to spend money wisely, because, you know, everybody's afraid they're going to waste money on marketing. So I start by looking at their business and where they anticipate revenue, where their revenue history has really yielded success. Mm-hmm. And we try to plot out a roadmap that really focuses their marketing strategies just on the things that are going to have a result when they need it. Because, you mm-hmm. know, companies tend to spread things too thin. They spread limited budgets over a number of different channels among multiple audiences. So they don't see the impact that they want because they're not focused enough. But so you can help them focused. Yeah, but you're not coming up with the particular granule. Like this is the idea for a PR campaign in terms of strategy. You're coming up with like, explain it more, a little bit more, because I'm fascinated. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it depends on the business, right? So there are, we do a lot of messaging work. So in fact, in order to create a brief for a creative team that's going to actually yield an amazingly motivating and compelling piece of creative work, there has to be a strategy that's focused on a particular customer need. And there has to be a messaging construct that is very clear and very focused because that's the way good creative comes to life, right? If you give a creative team too many things to talk about, it gets muddy, it's oatmeal, it's wallpaper. But when you give them a crisp idea that's anchored in a customer pain, then they can really go off and do their thing. So that's really what I did. I learned that at YNR for sure. And when we do marketing, uh, sorry, when we create messaging constructs for businesses, if that's what they need at the time, then that's really where the creative stuff begins to happen. Amazing. I mean, being in this, you know, kind of your exact perfect client, me, uh, (laughs) that would come to you, what do you think the biggest challenge small and mid-market companies have when when they're faced with planning, marketing strategy? Focus. Honestly, it's as simple as that. Focus. They have more than one customer. They want to do too many things with limited dollars. The other thing is that a lot of small companies will spend critical time working on things like imagery, which I have, this is not to say anything about branding. I believe in branding wholeheartedly with every ounce of me, Mm -hmm. but they'll spend a lot of time on a website build on colors or design when the messaging isn't focused. And they can't expect something that's beautiful but doesn't compel to actually work in the marketplace. So I try to pull people back to the job they want marketing to accomplish. What is the job that that piece of collateral needs to do? What's the job that that website needs to do? Because it's not just a business card, right? It has to compel people. It has to drive action. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of small businesses think that if I just have a good brand identity, everything else will fall into place. So I've I've actually been known to say, we're going to keep your suboptimal website up right now. Just Mm -hmm. leave it alone. And we're going to start to, we're going to create a lead generation exercise to bring more people into your database so that your sales team can begin to, for example, nurture some of those people across the buyer journey. And once we do that, we're actually going to understand better what they like, what what your website should look like. And now we're going to go off and now that we've learned something, we're going to go off and create a website that does the right thing. 
we're guilty of that. I don't think we've updated a website in three and a half years. We're doing it now, but due to resource constraints, because it's like, where do you focus? And you have to focus on, you know, where things are coming in. So I agree with you. Technology and consumption trends, especially now with COVID, everything is shifting so quickly. How do you actually build a successful digital marketing strategy, given all the changes and the rapid advancements? So I may, I'm going to say something that might be sacrilegious, but technology is always changing. That's just part of what it is. Yeah. So I feel like there are often more than one tech solution to solve a problem. The bigger challenge is consumption trends. So it's not to say that I don't, I have to stay on top of technology all the time because that's the path, that's the tactic to solving a particular problem. But there's always going to be different technologies. I've seen companies get very sidetracked with the new shiny MarTech thing that they want, where they might not spend enough time sitting back and saying, do I need that? Do I need it now? What do I need to do first before I spend money on that software subscription? Do I need to get my house in order before I spend money on that? So I worry less about tech because I feel like there's so much out there. There are lots of things to consider. All of it's expensive. All of it requires some kind of commitment. You know, sometimes it even requires shaping your internal staff to be able to use it. So before we do that, let's look at the customer and consumption trends and how, you know, how we stay on top of that. And, and just another thing about like digital marketing, you know, I try to be channel agnostic. I think all marketing is digital or all marketing includes digital, even when it comes to PR. I think I start way back, which is what is the channel that is going to work best based on what you need today? And I think different companies have different levels of patience. Everybody's patience is rather thin these days because of the economic challenges of this year. But you know, there are clients I've worked with where they have said, actually, we want you to do this particular thing. We want to create authority in our leader as a key opinion leader in our industry or an influencer. And we're willing to take a year to get there because they recognize that it will take a year to get there. Map out a plan that helps us do that among different sectors or different industries or different audiences. And they're willing to, and ex they accept the fact that things take time. You'll walk into another situation where a company needs a 12-month strategic roadmap for their marketing, but actually before they can get there, they need to fix their revenue problem in the next two quarters. Well, we're going to start with the more immediate need, and you know, digital is likely to be the channel that makes the most sense there. Mm -hmm. So I hope that answers your question. It's sort of if digital is the right channel, then what's the what are the right tactics within that channel? But there might be others that, you know, it might be a content marketing push that ends up being the intersection between digital and social and PR and sales, right? right. If you have a content strategy that's delivering your message in a strong and powerful way that's been proven and vetted among your customer base, well, you can use it across all your channels. Mm -hmm. I want that. I'm signing up. Okay. <laughs> so digital tactics marketing what are some underutilized like and I come to this from a place of 
oftentimes people don't think of the influencers, but are there other things, tactics from a marketer's perspective that people are not really considering right now that they should be? So this is going to sound terribly unsexy, but one of the biggest omissions I see companies make mm -hmm. is they look outside before they look inside. I've been working with companies who have assets in their company, like a large database that has not gone through a list hygiene process where they can get rid of the garbage and keep and create a really strong list. And before they start paying for paid channels or advertising, they could just create some really powerful one-on-one -on -one email campaigns to test concepts, to warm up cold leads, to nurture warm leads. Like sometimes it's right in front of you and they can't see it. Mm -hmm. So while we're waiting to build the website, while we're waiting to create a strategic roadmap for the year, let's create two or three email tests against different targets that the email addresses you have already in your database. They are there. Let's try them and see if you can stimulate anything from a database of people who actually know what you do. You don't have to start from scratch. They've gotten your newsletters. They perhaps were lapsed customers. So I find sometimes companies don't remember to look inside to see what they have already that they could implement almost immediately, you know, to get to get going. Forgive me for all the uh, doorbell ringing, but because we're working from home, we get a lot of now Babavox packages delivered to the house. And so it's like Grand Central over here. I'm sorry. It's about like a station that, break. That's it, all. We had like it really is. It really is. <laughs> the dog, the doorbell, the telephone. You know, <laughs> shifted everything. So I hope everyone listening, when they listen, can just rejoice that we're all going through this together. But you know, you bring up a great point. I, I know you were just talking about one example, not taking it literally, but email marketing has helped people just overlook email marketing. It has built Battlebox as a business in general, and little things. I mean, we went through a list of people and took the effort to figure out, oh, this list has a thousand people on it and let's see who moved on. And in fact, you know, we found 600 people over the past three years have moved on because that's the nature of, you know, the industry. People move on, you know, after a year or two or three. And then we went and wrote them again. And the response rate was unbelievable because they Isn't were now new. Yeah. So Again, I was taking your your example of one example, but email marketing to me on a business to business perspective is one of the most valuable drivers for growth. Um, here's an here's another underutilized concept. Mm -hmm. I've seen this literally for twenty years. So I believe Sherry that repetition is the most underutilized idea in marketing because we all think we're all sick of our own stuff right? Oh, I've seen that message before. But let's just use email as an example, because I love email. Let's say among a list of people who know you, like your known universe, you have a 25% open rate, 25, 30, 35%. We would all rejoice. That's fabulous. Yep. So that means even among people who know us and like us, 70% might not even be opening our emails. So I always suggest that we try to take a look from the outside, send things. To, if you send an email campaign out, if you, even if you have your sales team reach out and something goes to voicemail, it's like, don't give up because people 
might want to hear from you if you have the right message and they're a poised target audience. Just ignore the fact that you're sick of your own message. Ignore the fact that you feel like you've seen this message over and over again. We are all inundated with messages and half of us don't even realize we've seen that message before or we saw it and we thought, yeah, I'll get back to that later. And then they lose it and they don't remember who sent it or how they got it. Exactly. I mean, I know, and I, I believe in that, but sometimes it's hard when you've written someone two emails, like what's the third email? Like I, you know, it's always hard. Like what's the next entry point, but right to your point, like really successful salespeople, you know, they're able to just stay on top of someone for like two years and two years later, that person says, now the time is right and let's go. So let's go back to content marketing. If you have a message, like a content strategy that's built on a couple of strong messaging pillars, you do some of it in email, Mm -hmm. you surround your customer in all the places where they might be. If they're a B2B (laughs) company and they're in LinkedIn, I mean, I will take my LinkedIn I love LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time talking to my universe on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and I'll take some of those ideas and I'll deploy them into a blog. The very same idea will blow it out and make it a longer a longer piece. And those people in my blog subscription will get that. I might take it and publish it somewhere on Medium. Like you can take the same wonderful content and repeat it in different channels. So it doesn't feel like you're sending the same thing out over and over again. Mm -hmm. I just think sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater because we're tired of it when there are endless channels in which we can deploy a really powerful message and have it have a good shelf life. Particularly when, you know, the algorithms of some of these social channels where like 2% of the people are even seeing your message anyway. Please. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. So Let's talk about kind of like the social aspect of it, if we're talking about some of this, because there are so many elements. What would you say in terms, and I know it's different on a case-by-case basis, but any thoughts behind how much of a digital marketing plan should focus on social media versus, you know, the other elements that you're going to add in to to your plan? Mm -hmm. So I always ask, what is the role of X in achieving my marketing goals? So what's the role of social? What's the role of my website? What is the job I think LinkedIn is going to do? What is the job this email campaign is supposed to do? And what we'll try to do, if you have the opportunity to run your marketing through a number of channels, you can make a decision that all my channels need to do the same thing. It's all lead gen. Or you can say, hmm, I'm going to use social in a different way. So here's a good example. You might send out an email campaign that's really designed to drive people to a webinar and generate leads or generate a a nurture program for your warm leads, let's say. Mm -hmm. But you might also use, let's say, LinkedIn or maybe a professional page on Facebook even to share the voice of your company's leadership. Like, I think that is so brilliant because people, social is an authentic, should be an authentic and real channel. It's where people want to hear real voices. I mean, you see this in the data from LinkedIn, which will tell you that Eileen Rosenthal has many more followers than white space marketing group. People Mm -hmm. want to follow people. So I feel like the role of social for many of my clients and certainly for my business is for people to get to know me 
to hear my voice. I've had people call me who are inquiring about our services who say, well, I, I already know what you think about these things because I've read the stuff you've written on LinkedIn, hmm. which is kind of remarkable. I mean, I'm happy about it, but it's always surprised me. They kind of get a sense of me. And when we start a robust social program for a company, I'm looking for the voice. I'm looking for the human aspect of that business that can be brought to life in social. I, in my heart, believe that that's really how social thrives. It's not that it doesn't do anything if it's a corporate voice or whatever, but really, I think that's where people want to engage. People want to engage with people. And even on LinkedIn, as a B2B marketer, you know, I've seen that be a real, a real channel yeah. that has, you know, a lot of legs. Highly underutilized, but definitely. So where do you say influencer fits into this whole digital mix of strategy? I know, you know, it's particularly with the core focus of these small and emerging mid-tier brands, it's very cost-effective or it can be, but how do you take advantage of this channel for your clients? So I hope it's okay with you if I say the following, which is like influencer marketing can also go wrong. And I don't mean the big sort of problems that we see in this, in this area because of celebrities or anything, but I think that the way I see influencer marketing working most powerfully mm -hmm. is when you can get the aspiration right. What do I mean by that? Like, does your audience want to solve a problem in the way that somebody they respect does? Okay, I have a problem and I see this person is encountering a problem and they're an influencer in my field so I can trust this product or service or approach, you know, or is it a popularity contest? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. is it a popularity contest? You know, in the B2B space, companies use, you've heard this term, right? a KOL, a key opinion leader. That's really just business speak for an influencer, yeah, right? Of course. Well, I think subject matter expert. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So to me, providing value, that's what we want influencers to do for our, for our clients' business. We want them to provide value to my clients' customers, mm -hmm. not to toot their own horn, not to, at least in my world, in, in these spaces that I work in, really, I want them to, I want my clients to provide value to their customers. That's the only reason prospective customers will care about them. And I want influencers to share that responsibility. You know, I have an example of a company where one of our clients in the home design space, they will not align with just any influencer. Like people shopping in the home design space are looking for professionals, designers, et cetera, in the space who might use certain products. That's an obvious channel. But my client has a very particular take on a certain part of home design, mm -hmm. and they will not align with some of the most popular people who we've even suggested to them because they're not perfectly poised to represent their brand the right way. Oh yeah. So does that mean you you kind of take the the direction of working with one or two influencers rather than like 20 at a time or the bigger influencers rather than the smaller influencers given that feedback and what you're saying? That's such a good question. I think I think it also depends because you know, if you can work with five influencers in a particular space that are all aimed at the right thing, you can get the value 
to your brand faster, right? But I think, you know, I think there's value in being picky and just limiting the number of influencers you bring into your world. But I think you have to acknowledge that that means your the breadth, the reach will be limited because it's particular, it's very focused, it's very narrow. So you know, it's sort of like comparing or weighing quantity with quality, I think. Yeah. That's something we struggle with because we came into working with this company and said, oh, you should speak to all these influencers. And Mm -hmm. they really taught us that in this particular space where they have a very vertical idea for their business, that really it was better to be limited and have a slow growth influencer strategy rather than a prey and spray influencer strategy. Yeah. And it's interesting you know, you talk about the popularity contest because, you know, there definitely is an element of that and people just kind of like writing it in and like, okay, I did this pose. So do you see that a little bit changing now? Because I feel that the influencer content has kind of, some of it, I'm hoping, you know, has kind of taken a different tone instead of it being very, look at me, look at me, look at what I'm doing, look at what I'm wearing and how great everything is to more educational, informational, comfort building, you know. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. In fact, I think some of the influencer driven programs out there are going to have less and less traction over time because just because of just that. It's almost like anytime there's an overload of something, people pay less attention. Mm-hmm. So the more garbage there is out there or the more high volume, you can't see the difference because it's just becomes noise. I mean, we've seen this in digital advertising of in the course. past. Banner ads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there Banner you ads. go. Exactly. But, but, um, but that is interesting you bring that up because what I find is that so many brands out there, companies, they don't see the bigger context. They don't see like, wait a minute. If I'm going to leverage an influencer for, let's say, recipe, they're going to create a recipe and they're going to post it on their social channels. Wait, now I could use that recipe if I pay them more for my my website or for my newsletter. Or wait, they took product shots. I don't need a recipe developer because now I ha- like. There's so many other ways in which influencers can be built in, and it's like yeah. the marketing silos don't talk to each other. It's like being in a big, huge company, like, yeah. and like this division's not talking to that division. So I just hired a recipe developer, but that division just hired someone to do a marketing campaign who developed a recipe, and that's where I think that there could be a lot of like optimization. Definitely, welcome to my world. I mean, that is my world. Where when I come into a company, I have a view, a horizontal view. And because, you know, departments don't talk to each other, sales doesn't talk to marketing, digital marketing doesn't talk to regular marketing, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it's good to have a, a bird's eye view for efficiency in particular. I think efficiency is going to have a lot of weight moving forward. It always has. But I think the idea that we can improve efficiencies by cross-pollinating more than we've we're used to doing, particularly as you go up market in company size, the bigger the company, the more silos, the more departments, the more layers. And, uh, you know, I've seen it across the board in these larger companies, even solid mid-market, there's just a lot of right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. Mm -hmm. And it pays to have a view that's channel agnostic (laughs) that comes in and says, I see this here on one side and that on the other side, and they're the same thing. We can be efficient and we can be more powerful in our messaging. 
100%. So we're hitting up on a new year and I'd love any thoughts you have on any kind of trends, things you see happening. What do you think in this chaotic world that we're living in amidst dogs barking, doorbells and pajama bottoms, what do you think, what do you see for 2021? It's such a good question. I, I mean, I, I'm going to get a little philosophical on you, Sherry, and just say in a world where there's such uncertainty and such risk in so many places, I've said to my staff, to my clients, focus, focusing on the things that matter the most. You can see how this relates to one's personal life, right? With the crazy COVID and risk of, of illness or financial struggles, you know, focusing on what on your family and on the things that matter, of course, is important. It's the same in business, focusing on what you do well, focusing on where you can actually foresee results soon. Like I always say, take the long view, but maybe for 2021, we need to take a medium view. What can get us through the next year? What can make 2021 the year of recovery, the year of looking forward of optimism that's really where i'm i'm centered in some way it's all about setting priorities and sticking with them and doing what matters that's very inspiring thank you i have <laughs> learned so much from you and thank you for taking the time today i will leave you with my one last question which i always ask is name an influencer you love to follow but hate to admit that you do so I'm not shy, so I don't really hate to admit. <laughs> I just have a Sarah, Sarah Blakely of oh, Spanx okay. fame. I don't hate to admit it. I love to admit that I follow her because she's a person who has revealed the vagaries of failure, the risk of trying, the funny business of becoming a big company after you were a small company. So I just... Uh, I unabashedly follow her and love to read her stuff. <laughs> I do too. So it's all that, you know, kind of that spirit of being an entrepreneur on your own and then making it to be, you know, one of the most successful women in America, which is amazing. Yep. Yep. I agree. Well, thank you, Shari, for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. You too. Thank you, Eileen. Take good care. Thanks. You too. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Beyond the Box, produced by Tough Monkey Entertainment. Beyond the Box is brought to you by Babblebox with your host, Sherry Langbert. Visit podcast.babblebox.com for more episodes and influencer marketing secrets.